Oh, Father, what a great song of submission, a song that points out the fact that you are merciful. You are holy and righteous and just and will by no means clear the guilty. But you are a God of mercy and love and have sent one to endure the sin and punishment of the guilty so that you could take away their guilt forever. What a wonderful story of redemption and forgiveness and grace. And I pray that that song, that mercy, that theme will touch our hearts today. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen, amen. Well, it's hard for a good man to be a king. For in a moment of unguarded passion, power often will overrule principle. And the good man will be dethroned. David was a good king and had everything he wanted the king of Israel. He had the admiration of his nation. He had the respect and fear of his enemies. He won incredible battles, defeating his enemies, gaining territory, and women honored him with songs. He amassed a great wealth, astonishing amount of wealth. David had everything a king could have. So David, King David, what makes a king happy? And his response is given to us in Psalm 32. And the first two verses, David would say, happy are those whose sins are forgiven and whose wrongs are pardoned covered, put away. Happy is the one whose record the Lord has cleared from all guilt and in whose spirit there is no deception. If you know something about the biography of David, you'll find out he's speaking about himself. He was in that happy place, I think, when he wrote these words, but he was reflecting back upon a time when he was not. Picking it up with verse three. There was a time when I kept silent and my bones wasted away because I was groaning all day long. Why were you groaning? For day and night, Lord, your hand of discipline, your hand of conviction was heavy upon me. How blessed it is when the hand of God lifts us up and carries us forward. How horrible it is when the hand of God pushes us down because of our sin. Day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength evaporated like water in the heat of summer. And David 
verse five, finally said, it's time to confess my sin. Historically, that was almost a year later from when he began to hide his sin. I acknowledge my sin to you. I did not cover up my iniquity. I did not continue to hide from God. I said, I will confess my law-breaking to the Lord. And you forgave me. Underline those words in your heart. And you forgave me. All my guilt was gone. And that, my friend, is the gospel. And we know it's the good news about Jesus Christ because the Apostle Paul picks up this text in Romans chapter four and preaches grace and forgiveness through Christ and that blessed state of God not accounting to us or recording to us any kind of sin. There's an African proverb that says, being happy is better than being king. And David would have said amen to that. You see then from these two verses that the foundation of true happiness, real happiness, is knowing that God has forgiven you and your guilt is gone. Whatever happiness you have below that threshold is shallow. At best, temporary. Because true happiness and blessedness comes from knowing that God holds your sins no longer against you, that your sins are gone. And so I say, are you happy this morning? Well, no, I'm not happy. I was backing out of the, car, uh, the driveway this morning and the neighbor ran into my car. I'm not happy. Just before we left today, a pipe broke and water started leaking. I had to turn off the whole water and the, I'm not happy. And then I came in and saw the person who always bugs me at South. <laughs> and I thought, I thought I could sit somewhere else, but somehow got, you know, one of these ushers put me right next to the, I am not a happy camper today. Well, if the threshold of your happiness is based on things like that, you never will be. Let your happiness be found in Jesus. And that's why I love Psalm 32. So notice, first of all, David was hiding from God. And when he was hiding from God, he experienced uh, psychosomatic illnesses. His guilt produced stress and his body was wasting away and he lost his vitality. There was emotional agony in his life and no spiritual peace and he lived in that state and he was deceiving everyone. He tried to deceive everyone in his kingdom and maybe even tried to deceive God but he couldn't deceive Bathsheba and he couldn't deceive the messenger who went to get her and he couldn't deceive the commander, was it Joab? Because he's the one who had Uriah killed. What a tangled web we weave when first we practice to deceive. Live in deception and you will be miserable. 
So David was hiding his sin, but now something amazing happens. He confesses it. That's verse 5. And now instead of hiding from God, he is hiding in God. Oh, you've got to see that difference. We pick up in verse 6, Psalm 32. Therefore, now David's speaking to the congregants. I don't know what audience he was speaking to. Maybe it was some of his own officials. He said, therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you while you may be found. That's what godly people do. They pray, confessing their sin. And notice there's a sense of urgency. Verse 6 says, while you may be found, because While God is present always and his invitation open, you have no guarantee you'll be here tomorrow. You have no guarantee you'll be here today, the rest of the day. Seek him while he may be found because while mercy is the principle from the beginning of our sin all the way until we die, judgment takes over and there's no hope of mercy after that. Seek him while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Isaiah 56. Last part of verse six. Surely when the mighty waters rise, they will not reach them. The godly who are praying and confessing their sins now are insulated from judgment. I think the mighty waters refer to the coming judgment And it won't reach them because, verse 7, you are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and you will surround me with songs of deliverance. So hiding from God produces trauma of all kinds, anxiety. But hiding in God produces Well, let's mention several things. First of all, protection and safety. When we put our faith in him, he becomes our hiding place and we are protected from those mighty waters of verse six. The judgment of God is real. The wrath of God will be revealed against all ungodliness of men. In fact, it is being brought out upon our society here a little and there a little. The wrath of God is real. And there's only one place to find safety from the wrath of God, and that's to hide in Christ, who already endured God's wrath for us. The hiding place. It's a great story about the stagecoaches who used to go west and sometimes they would encounter a fire that was coming east, coming right across the prairie at them and, and there wasn't really anything they could do to, uh, to get away from it. They, they weren't fast enough. So what they would do is they would go back a little bit and then they would burn a place of prairie right around them and then they would get all the wagons in the burnt place so that when the fire finally reached them it would go around them because they were in the burnt place and someone in the stagecoach said you know I don't feel safe I'm afraid that fire is going to get us and and one wise man said the fire cannot burn you where it's already been 
If Jesus took the wrath for our sins, we will not suffer judgment for our sins. It's been paid once for all. And so we will not, we find safety hiding in God and protection. It's, um, it's interesting. You are my hiding place. He's now speaking to God. Verse six, he's kind of speaking to others, but now he focuses on the Lord. You're my hiding place and you're going to protect me also from trouble. That's verse seven. Maybe the difficulties of life that we face on this earth, something other than payment for our sin, you're going to protect me from difficulties. But you have to remember that that is not a guarantee that all problems of life will be gone. (laughs) Because David had a slew of them, if you follow his life. But everything that comes to you when you're in the hiding place must first be filtered through divine sovereignty and unfailing love. If I'm hiding in God, nothing can touch me unless it first passes through him. It was David Livingston, the great missionary who was an explorer also in Africa, and he said, I am immortal until God is finished with me. (laughs) And I think sometimes he was bolder and a little more foolish than he should have been. And the fact that he was trusting in God as his hiding place did not mean he didn't have troubles because once he was attacked by a lion and the lion clenched down on his shoulder and for the rest of his life he couldn't use one of his arms. But God is sovereign. He's in control, and that's a good thing. If he weren't a loving God, that would be a horrible thing. You've heard of the Navigators Ministry, founded by Dawson Trotman many years ago. Dawson Trotman's wife, Lilla, he and Dawson, uh, she and Dawson were extremely close. In 1950, they were ministering at Word of Light Camp, Scroon Lake. Some of you might know where that is. And they were out on the boat. Jack Wurtson, the founder of the camp, was actually driving the boat. There were some, peop- some campers in there, and Doss was in. Lilla was on the shore. And they were driving around, and a, the boat must have hit a bad wave, and one of the campers, a girl, went overboard and she couldn't swim and Dawes, 50 years old, jumped in and saved her. But drowned in the process. He held her up. He had a heart condition. Apparently he had a heart attack. She was saved but he lost his life. Jack Wurtson was a basket case for a long time. Blamed himself. But when they got to the shore... Someone said, Lilla, Dawes is gone. And when she understood what that meant, first words out of her mouth, Psalm 115, verse 3, the Lord is in the heavens and he does whatever he pleases. 
She wasn't happy, <laughs> but she was submitted and trusting and yielded to God's great protection. Isn't it great that God is almost sovereign? Wouldn't that be comfortable? Wouldn't that be encouraging? Of course not. We'd all be living in fear. But God is not almost sovereign. He is sovereign. The word sovereign means so, like solo, above everything, alone. And reign means in control. No one is higher than him. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. So notice verse seven says, he will surround me with songs of deliverance. Surround sound is a big thing nowadays. You all have it, don't you? I mean, your TV, uh, they come that way in many places and you'll buy something else so you can have speakers in the back so when you're watching those amazing movies, if you feel like you're in it because of the surround sound. Well, that's nothing new. David said, God surrounds me with songs of deliverance, encircled with song, surrounded by dancing mercies, all pro proclaiming the triumphs of his grace. And there's no break in the circle. There's no disruption of the music because on every side, God says, delivered. But I remember my sin, delivered. His mercy is more. Oh, I remember my sin and the horror of it. But praise the Lord, his mercy is more. Now, if you don't live in the context of that wonderful truth, you are not happy. You say, Pastor, I am. I'm very happy. Without God? That's a really dangerous place to be in because now you are living in a dream world. You cannot be happy, truly happy, unless you know God has forgiven your sin and your guilt is gone. So, surround sound, what a beautiful thing. Oh, safe to the rock that is higher than I. My soul in its conflicts and sorrow will fly to that safe place. So sinful, so weary, thine, thine would I be, thou blessed rock of ages. What's the rest of it? I'm hiding in thee, and I hope you are. But there's something else that is a benefit from hiding in God. We pick it up in verse eight. Now God is speaking. So he was speaking to his friends and then he was speaking to God and now God is speaking to him. Or if this is in the setting of a liturgical setting in the temple worship, this would be a, a godly priest uh, speaking on behalf of the Lord who says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. I will counsel you, and the NIV has, and watch over you. But actually, that's all one phrase. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. So he's saying, I will instruct you. I will teach you. And I will advise you with my eye upon you. 
That sounds to me a whole lot like a personal trainer, right? Which is a big thing nowadays. You know, you get a personal trainer to get yourself in shape or you get a life coach, you know, to help you plan out how you live. That's exactly what Jesus is offering to do for us. I will instruct you has the idea of informing. It, it affects the understanding and knowledge and intelligence. The teaching appears to be more of a demonstration. And the counseling is that step-by-step step watching you to see if you're doing it right. So I will tell you, I will show you, and I will watch you. That's exactly the kind of teaching we need. And the Lord gives it to us. His presence is there, his word is there, his spirit is there, and we have this beautiful guidance. Guide me, guide me, O oh, thou great Jehovah. I'm a pilgrim in this barren land. I'm weak, but you are mighty. Hold me with your powerful hand. What a great truth it is that God will guide us every step of the way as we simply yield to him. Now that's the big thing because there is a warning in verse seven. Don't be like the horse. Not all of them are stubborn, but some are. Or don't be like the mule, most of them are stubborn. They have no understanding. The only way you can control them is with bit and bridle, or they won't come to you. How do you enjoy living with a bit in your mouth? Say, what are you talking about? Well, if you're not following the Lord, sometimes the Lord will just harness you up. Do a little bit of pulling because you're stubborn. He's trying to keep you from destroying yourself, but all you can see is the bit and bridle. And you don't understand that all he said to you was follow my way, don't be stubborn, and you will be surrounded with songs of deliverance and joy will be the note of your life, but if you rebel, oh, I love Spurgeon's statement when he said, God will not allow his children to sin successfully. Are you his child? Okay, buckle up. We're gonna see it when we finally get back to the book of Hebrews, which we plan to do, that God disciplines his own. And bit and bridle are part of that. Psalm 25, verse eight, good and upright is the Lord and therefore he instructs sinners in the way. He guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. So you've got protection and you've got instruction, but now there's one final wonderful component, one benefit to those who hide in God, in Christ. And that's verse 10. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad. Those of you who are obedient, righteous, sing all you 
who are upright in heart. A couplet, verse 11, saying the same thing in two different lines, two different ways. But the point is celebration. Those who don't know the Lord, verse 10, many of the woes of the wicked, in other words, they're surrounded by trouble. Wherever they turn, there is trouble. But unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Now, that's the second time that word surround is given to us. The first time we were surrounded with songs of deliverance. My sins are gone. And now we are surrounded with the themes, the songs, the truth that God's love never fails. You cannot be happy if you don't know that your sins are forgiven and you cannot be happy if you don't sense and know that you are totally encompassed by the love of God. Many of the woes of the wicked but unfailing love surrounds those who follow him. There's a sense of suffering, or a sense of safety, and there's a sense of singing and rejoicing when we are in him. Love without fail. Everywhere we turn, there is the love of God. So Jesus then becomes my hiding place, and Jesus becomes my happy place. Where is your happy place? I don't have one. Didn't think you did. <laughs> and someone will say, well, my happy place is to go fishing. That's, that's not a bad happy place. Get out where it's quiet. I just love it. Someone will say, my happy place is a quiet room and a good book. Oh, I can get lost for hours. Just fills my soul with happiness. That's not bad. I think all of us should have some happy places that we can go to in that level. But none of that will really cut it unless your happy place is not Jesus. How about going to your happy place every day and come into the presence of your Savior who's washed your sin away and sings songs of love to you, protecting you and guiding you so that you can have the best possible life. That to me is amazing. When I was studying for this uh, message, I thought of an old song. It's an old hymn. Uh, the hymn was actually written, if I'm not mistaken, in 1775 by Philip Doddridge. And it's called, Oh Happy Day. Now we have that in our hymn books and we've been singing it for years. And I do remember one time a congregation singing, Oh, Happy Day, like it was at a, f a funeral service. <laughs> Have you ever seen that? You know, where the, the countenance doesn't seem to express the words? If I could demonstrate, I would. I can demonstrate the bad face, but I, I won't try to demonstrate the song. It was in 1968, there was a group by the name of the Edwin um, Hawkins Northern California Youth Choir who sang Oh Happy Day and it became a hit. Even in public radio, it became a hit. 
It's much the same version that you probably saw in that movie from the early 90s, Sister Act 2, where Whoopi Goldberg was supposed to be a nun. <laughs> it was good acting. Uh, <laughs> could you take that out? I shouldn't have said that. <clears throat> and I kind of like it. But they don't use all the words. I mean, there's a couple stanzas in there that are so gospel. Oh, happy day that fixed my choice on thee, my Savior and my God. Oh, may this glowing heart rejoice and spread its rapture all abroad. Oh, happy day. Oh, happy day when Jesus washed my sins away. He taught me how to watch and pray and live rejoicing every day. Where do you think Doddridge got that? How about Psalm 32? And a stirring song without an honest heart does not reflect the joy that we find in the Lord. But when your heart is happy, it's got to sing even poorly, but it's got to sing. Only the forgiven are truly happy. He guards my life, he guides my steps, he gladdens my heart when I hide in him, when he is my all in all, when I've turned from that which destroys me to the one who saves me. And every day I'm surrounded with songs of deliverance and messages of unfailing said love. Are you happy today? Let's pray. Lord, this world can crush us and we find ourselves wounded deeply and our song is gone. But Lord, let us as quickly as possible turn back to the place where we find safety and song, protection and instruction, and where our hearts can be filled with the tunes of the gospel that talk about, yes, we are worthy of, of condemnation and we are, we are sinners through and through, but Jesus came to heal the sick and he loves to heal the sick and put a new song in their heart, even praise to our God. Some of us live Psalm 32 when we're hiding from God and our life is filled with groaning. Life is a groan. Oh Lord, let us turn in faith to Jesus today and trust him so that our life will be a song. In his name we pray, amen.